my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. For this episode, I am joined by Casey. That's K-A-E-C-Y, a South African singer, songwriter, performer, and recording artist. Casey has been performing since childhood and worked with such artists as, is that Bongi? Bongi? Bongi. Bongi and Colin. Bongi and, uh, thank you, Bongi and Colin, Hassan Green and Latang. Um, sorry, if you could say that name for me. Latang. Latang. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I like the way that sounds. Thank you. <laughs> the Toro was the first single from Casey's 2017 debut release titled So Beautiful. The album is described as being, quote, fresh, well-written, soulful, and totally different from what is out there, making its title fitting. I'd agree. (laughs) Casey is also a featured singer on the 2022 album, We Too Are Called. I look forward to conversing with Casey and learning more about his life as a Black gay artist in South Africa. Greetings and welcome. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. That was a great intro, by the way. (laughs) Thank you for uh, joining me. I wasn't fully aware because we met digitally briefly uh, about a month or so ago. Yeah. You know, you were talking about the Grammys or that was the talk of conversation on Team Race Scenes. Everyone's got something to say. Facebook Live. Yes. And so it was afterwards. And and I like the spelling of your name. That intrigued me. Even this morning, I was like, oh, that'd be a great way to name a child with that spelling. But, um, you know, of course, I looked you up and I was like, oh, my God, this guy is like an amazing singer. So thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So uh, how's your day shaping up so far? It's a public holiday in South Africa, so we're all home. Mm-hmm. So I keep my room to prepare for, you know, for the interview. And after the interview, I'm probably going to see a friend. It's, it's a socializing day. I didn't ask because South Africa is a big country. Where are you based? So I am based in Pretoria, in the township of Mamelodi. So Mamelodi is like the hood of Pretoria. And Pretoria is the, the capital city of South Africa. This is where the presidents or the White House in, in your guys' language. So we have the union buildings. You guys have the White House. So the union buildings sits in Pretoria. Mm. We have... Two other capitals, Cape Town, it is the administrative capital. That's where the the parliament sits. Mm -hmm. Then we have Bloemfontein, which is the legislative capital. That's where the Supreme Court sits. Now, you said the hood. Is that in reference to it being predominantly Black? I mean, we were split according to to our race. So Mm -hmm. Mamilodi is a Black hood. But beyond that, they split us according to tribes. So I am in a predominantly Shangan tribehood. And if you go further, you you find where some of the Zulus are. In fact, quite next to us is where the Zulus are. And then beyond that, you will find the Tswanas. So South Africa has 11 official languages. And most of those languages are Black languages. 
the only Caucasian languages are Afrikaans and English. With the separation that happened, they put all of us quite crowdedly in a very small space, and then they took a large space. So two out of 11 occupied the large part of town, and nine out of 11 occupied a very small space and still had to be separated by tribe. With colonialism and things like that, the traumas that surround that, coming from a Black American's perspective, it's good to hear that you haven't lost that history or, or your culture and the languages, which I know a lot of times can get destroyed. Absolutely. I mean, generally in the country with the younger parents, there is a renaissance of, you know, an African renaissance where people are, are going back to their roots and you're seeing more and more of the Western names being discarded. People are going back to their traditional names. People are reclaiming their African spirituality as opposed to just focusing on, on Christianity or these other Western religious practices. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that time where people are really actively going back to their African roots, which is quite exciting to see. So have you always lived in Pretoria or have you lived in other parts of South Africa? Yes. When I went to university, I moved to a little town called Grahamstown in the Eastern Cape. It's another province in South Africa that is predominantly Musa. I attended at Rhodes University and I studied accounting sciences. Mm -hmm. So I lived there for three years. Then I came back. Right now, I'm in between Pretoria and Johannesburg because I actually work in, in Johannesburg and my partner stays in Johannesburg as well. Okay. Well, it's a very active life. <laughs> yeah, 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 you could say that. <laughs> yeah, you know, as I mentioned earlier, just finding out more about you and I watched your performances. One of them last year, was it Javet Art Center? Yes. And my first reaction was, Wow. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, your vocals are just amazing. But not just the singing, but just your stage presence really stood out to me. I watched a few of them, but another one that was a, a treat for me was when you did a, a live recording, I think acoustic, the song about mom. Yes. That was a really good one too from a couple of years ago. How did you get into singing or when did you discover your talents as a singer? So... My family is, I mean, it's a family of vocalists. Everyone sings at home. And I didn't quite think that I could sing because when I was like growing up, my brother was the star singer. Everyone was like, oh, going crazy over him. And I couldn't sing like him. So I thought, okay, if I can't sing like him, then it means that I can't sing. But I've always loved singing. I mean, I remember my first performance was Whitney Houston's um, I Will Always Love You, and that was at daycare. Wow. Yes. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've always loved to sing, but I never really believed I could sing until, you know, I started being very involved in the church and I joined the choir, but I was still not very confident. I think it dawned on me that I actually do have this gift when I was at university. Again, joined the choir and 
just seeing people's reaction. I was like, oh, okay. So I guess I could I could really do this. Mm. And once I, I did that, the songwriting started to come because before I was just into poetry, you know, that was my expression. It was beautiful that once I discovered my voice, mm-hmm. I then transitioned into being a songwriter. And I remember one of the first songs that I wrote was for the choir that I had joined. It was called In the Morning. And I recorded it and I played it for someone. And honestly, I, I was not expecting any positive response. He was like, no, we need to teach the song to the choir. And I said, really? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, and he said, no, let's, let's, let's do it. So we, we taught the choir and we started performing the song. And it was a huge hit. Of course, I wasn't leading the song because I was still not confident enough. But the song was really big. And okay. Yeah, that made me then believe that, okay, I can actually do this. Yeah. How does it feel as a songwriter... It's one thing to hold that for oneself, but how does it feel to release that to someone else to interpret your creation? You have to completely let go because what I realized is what a song or a piece of art means to you, it it, it will mean something totally different to the next person. And you need to be able to allow that to happen, to give it the space to grow and to become something else for someone else. So when I write, it's from my own perspective, from my own point of view. It's it's an expression of mine. But when someone else hears it, they interpret it some other way and they are then inspired or you know they respond to it in a way that relates more to them. And you need to be able to be okay with that. I remember when I released my album, some of the responses they completely blew me away. I mean, one of the songs, uh, it's called Limgile on the album. And it was such a personal song for me because I was really going through a really bad heartbreak. Mm -hmm. And you find people that know that song helped them leave people or relationships that were not so good for them. But in in my song, I'm trying to hold on. (laughs) I'm trying to hold on to this person, even though they're not good for me. But, you know, the pain... Of, of of losing them was so big for me, but for them it, it it helped them. So it's it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling because that's when you start seeing the impact that your art has in other people's lives. And art without impact is, you know, then what are we doing? For me, I, I'll say I always think that music is connected to spirituality. Yeah. It meant something for you, but in releasing that out into the universe and how that, it was healing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, some of my best songs I write when I'm really, really sad or going through a difficult time. It is cathartic for me because sometimes I can't even pray about it, but I can definitely write a song about it. That, that for me is communication with my inner self with the universe, with God, and it helps me heal in ways that a simple prayer cannot. It is definitely spiritual. Mm. Yeah, I'm not a singer or a songwriter, but a couple of years ago, I had a situation. Okay. <laughs> Somebody I was liking, and yeah. it didn't work out. But I remember being on the bus, and this 
voice, God, the universe was like, start writing. Mm. And I showed it to a friend who does sing. And we did kind of work with some things, but it was the first time that I saw how personal music can be or how personal music is. Mm. Of course, for you, the artist, the songwriter, but also, as you've mentioned a couple of times, how that can be something personal for the audience. Absolutely. Again, your vocal abilities. And then you mentioned your 2017 album, So Beautiful. Yes. I listened to it and some standouts for me were Ditoro. Yes. Lemkile. Yes. And then Trouble and Abafana. Abafana was my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> Do you even understand what it means? Oh, yeah, because it's written bilingually in English and Isuzulu. When I created the album, it was very important for me, to be honest, not only in terms of what I'm feeling at the time, but also about my sexuality. And Abba Fana is that song where I literally sing about boys, and I'm talking about how boys will break your heart. It was one of the biggest surprises for me because it's one of the most streamed songs on the album. So I guess, you know, everyone can relate to it. I felt like it, it would probably be the the least favorite because, you know, it's coming from a gay perspective. But people surprised me, uh, surprised me with it, yeah. Of course, I'm, I'm gay, so I'm colored in some ways, but there's such authenticity in the lyrics. I get it myself, releasing something out there that's specifically about that part of who I am. Yeah. But if it's coming from an authentic place, people are going to connect to it. Absolutely. And definitely, you know, just hearing those lyrics. I remember years ago, friends and I were talking how it was a straight person asked, well, why do you guys like female songs so much? I was like, well, maybe because not literally because we're not the same, but we can transpose it in some ways to relate to, especially around heartache and, and romance and love. Yeah. To not have to do that, to be conscious for me to say, oh, I didn't have to transpose that. He put it there, right there. So I... I don't have to run it through a filter. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. Also, your vocal and your stage presence, for me, first time I clicked on a link, reminded me of Ruth Vandross. <sighs> you know, just the richness in your voice, the confidence that you exude on stage. You know, I know you talked to a little bit earlier about how you weren't confident in your voice. And I love platforms like this because... You know, you can never know a person's story until you hear it. Mm-hmm. And I never would guess that was part of your past. But in learning like your gift or your awareness of your gift or your awareness of your talents is a process, was a process definitely when you first got started. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. But in saying that, like, when did you become aware was there a moment when you were like, oh, shit, I'm good at this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. <laughs> After university, when I finished, I came back home and I started working with other musicians as a, as a background vocalist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did that for, for a short while. And then I realized it's great. It's fun. It's way better to be a background vocalist. But I think I have inside of me to do more and to literally be in the forefront. That's what I started doing. By the time I stopped being a background vocalist, I already had written a number of songs 
And I remember it was in 2014, at the beginning of 2014, and I posted on Facebook because I sort of had made a name for myself as a singer. And I said, I think I should have my own solo show. And the response, it's like people were waiting for me to do that. And I said, okay, cool. I appreciate the feedback. And I started working towards that. And in October of the same year, I had my first solo show with all songs completely new that no one had ever heard before. You know, at the performance, it was it was the craziest thing. You know, the, you mentioned a song for Mama. It was one of the songs that I had written and performed for the first time at the show. There wasn't a single dry eye in the entire uh, auditorium. And I performed Didoro, which is also on the album. And again, it was absolutely beautiful. It got further cemented within me that actually I can do this and I will go out and do this. And from then on, I started working towards doing an album, which was only released three years later. I haven't seen your background performances, but just seeing you out the front, <laughs> I just had a vision of you in the background. It's like, I keep focusing on him. I need to focus on the lead singer. <laughs> but in you referencing the audience's responses, that's one of the things that captured me when I watched some of your videos is, is the audience, is, is their reactions to it. It's like that thing if if I had just been walking by and said, oh, who's that singing? Yeah. The audience would pull me in because I'm like, oh, they're really into this. Again, a testament to your talent. It's like a, a marriage almost of you and the audience and just like transfers of energy back and forth. It is so humbling because, you know, when, when, when you are creating, it is in such a small space, you know, and it's your thoughts and your emotions. And immediately when, when you lay that out on stage and people respond like that, I've run off stage because I, I got so overwhelmed. It's not something that I can get used to. It really overwhelms me every single time. I've read that some recording artists don't like to perform live. Have you ever been that artist in the studio that didn't want to do live performances? The most fun is during live performances. I mean, the studio is great. Everything is perfected. You know, everything is done to, to the T and it sounds great, but there's so much freedom on stage and you are feeding off on, on your band, on the energy from your backup singers, on the energy from the audience. If I could do live recordings, I would do that because I enjoy them that much, even though, you know, they, <laughs> they are networking as heck. But I really, really enjoy that. I would never um, stop performing live. I've been to some concerts and yeah, I love the recording. But what can make me like a song or like a different song even more is when I see it live. And um, not too often, but there's one performance in particular several years ago I remember I went to and watching the performance kind of turned me off because the artist's I don't know what was going on that night, but there definitely wasn't an engagement with the audience. And the vocals were great, but it got to a point where we just kind of stopped listening to this artist because it's like, are you here for us? Yeah, yeah. So hearing how you like to perform and then also, again, that transference of energy. 
And I guess, you know, as an audience member, making sure that we're giving that back to you. It's important. I am quite reserved and shy. So sometimes when I do perform, it is nice to look out at friendly faces in the audience and they become sort of my, my center. And, and that helps with, with the performance. It's the symbiosis um, of energies in that sense. You feed off my energy, I feed off yours, and together we make something absolutely uh, amazing. Reserved and shy. I've heard that several times from artists, from singers, from actors. I consider myself as being reserved and somewhat subdued. But why do you think so many people who are that way are attracted to performing? I think maybe perhaps uh, because we live so much in our head, you internalize a whole lot of things. Uh, And sometimes when you are in spaces that are not, you know, you don't feel comfortable in, a lot is happening in your head. And how that translates to you being on stage, you know, it's an expression. You're sort of putting on a different persona. It's not really you at home. It's not It's not me at home. I put on this person who is singing my words and expressing my thoughts. And when you get off, you run back to that cocoon and, and, and you carry on to create more in your head. I get it, but I don't understand how how that works as well. Mm. Sasha Fierce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I thank Beyonce for putting it in that in that sense because you really have to. But also, I look at my earlier performances and you know how I am now. It really is a skill that you develop over time where you really have to let go of or come out of your thoughts and, and really just be authentic and just offer yourself um, on that stage. Because otherwise, if you don't do that, then the audience will not really believe what you're saying or what you're singing. And they won't also join in on, on the magic. Mm. As much as it is a persona, you also have to be authentic. There should probably be a a study um, on that. We talk about you referencing male interests in your songs. Mm -hmm. When did you become aware of that part of yourself? Oh, to a certain degree, I've always known since I was very, very young. I knew I was different from other boys. Um, I just didn't really know. I didn't have the language for it. And I must have been eight years old when my older brother called me gay. Of course, I cried because when you look at some of the people in the neighborhood that have been called gay, obviously there were the battle jokes, bullying, and and all of that. And and when someone calls you gay, you sort of see what happens to people that are called like that. It's not something that you then embrace Mm. so even with that knowledge it took me quite a long time to sort of start embracing my sexuality it would be when I eventually I think in my early 20s that I embrace it 
But I mean, I, I had a boyfriend for like two weeks in high school. And then we broke up when people were starting to talk. The fear factor was, you know, as usual. And when I was at varsity as well, I would, you know, hook up with guys. And then during the day, obviously, be with my, my straight friends. But also because of the person that I am, I knew that it would not be something that I'd be able to sustain for, for the rest of my life. I then started being in gay spaces. And I often say that you don't just wake up and you're out. It's a process. So you're completely um, confident with yourself. And at the end of the day, it also boils down to you knowing that that is not all there is to you. Which is weird because for the longest time, it is this big secret that you're keeping. And then after you've now gone over the hurdle, you realize actually it's not that big a deal. I think then that that is when you start living authentically and in a wholesome and fulfilling manner in all spheres of your life. Being asked that question, when did I know? I had awareness as, as a young child. I didn't have the language for it, but I described it to this person as like most of us, when we realize that we don't jump for joy and go, oh my God, yay. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of those people. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for women or, or the trans community, but as a Black man, Growing up in a heavily patriarchal environment, it's like you have taken your birthright and you are trampling on it and everyone hates you for that. Mm. Even if they don't call you out, you know, the looks, the treatment, it's, it's not something that one would want for themselves. But I admire, I admire the community. In fact, I'm wearing a t-shirt called I'm a gay superhero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when I, when I saw this t-shirt, I was like, it's true because, you know, we fight through so much in silence, but we show up every day. You wake up and you are who you are. I always say that, you know, representation and visibility is the biggest form of activism because in you being who you are and living your life, it inspires someone else that you don't even know about. That's all we need to do, in my humble opinion. And you're an example of that. Again, going back to the song Abafana, it's like, this is not taken away from that and saying I haven't been positively impacted by non-Black performers who are out, but you saying those lyrics as a Black man, for me, you know, and I'm older than you are, but still needing that affirmation that I'm okay. It's, it's important, throughout, I think, throughout our lifetime. Absolutely. So I'm just going to go back there because when I made the decision to become a solo artist, I remember I was signed to a record label or I was about to get signed. And I had the contract and everything. And there is a South African artist that they were trying to pit me up against. And another artist within the stable was then outed as gay. And when all of that was happening, I said, you know, 
if it happened to him, it's probably going to happen to me. So I might as well just tell them. And I told them during contract negotiations. And I said, well, this is who I am. And they're like, are you sure? You know, we are a Christian record label. And I said, look, that's who I am. I'd rather do this now than five years later be on a Sunday tabloid. And then I said, okay, cool. We'll come back to you. And after a couple of days, I said, you know what? Actually, we're not going to continue with these contract negotiations because obviously we are coming from Christian values. Obviously, with that in mind, I had to make a decision as to the, the kind of artist that I wanted to be. We always know of these artists that we know that they're on the down low. We know that what they're doing behind closed doors or at dark, but they present themselves as something different. It's no shade to them. They have to do what they have to do. But I don't want to be one of those because I just felt like there were enough of those people being like that. I made a decision that I will be authentic. I will be out in my music. I'm not going to sing about Mary if I really want to sing about John. The, the reception at first was hard. You know, you would only get invited to perform at, at Pride events or gay events. Look, the performance is a performance. But you also want to reach other audiences. The more authentic you are, everyone starts to consume your art. You know, similar to being Black, it's like sometimes people say, oh, I can't relate to her. You're not speaking to me because it's got a Black protagonist or what you just said, you know, you're a gay artist. Most of what I consume is not about gay, but I can relate to it. So why can't you? You only need to be in the minority or marginalized to realize that that is bullshit. Excuse my French. If we are able to make songs about women or men, heterosexual men, and take those experiences and make them our own, anyone else can do that. I am human. You are human. <laughs> that is the bottom line. That is the absolute bottom line. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. That is the bottom line. And what other ways has being who you are authentically, positively impacted either in your professional or your personal life? I mean, authenticity is, is very important to me. So even when I'm at work, that is um, the value that, that I try to, to, to espouse integrity the integrity that i have in my music is the integrity that i espouse in my personal relationships i mean obviously i'm human i make mistakes but it's important because you know there is a goal that we're all working towards in terms of our own personal development but you need all of these tools to get you to that goal Every day you are working towards developing yourself, whether it is academically, whether it is um, emotionally, you know, just becoming a better human. That is what I would, I, I would say to that. For somebody who's visiting South Africa or Pretoria for the first time, what makes South Africa or Pretoria unique, either in culture, food, um, other things? Definitely the people. You know, what I would say to anyone coming to South Africa is expect 
to have fun. South Africans love to have fun. Oh my God. South Africans love to have fun and they will have fun with anyone. Expect being embraced. I mean, there's Cape Town that everyone loves. There's Johannesburg. But try and, you know, find these little gems of, of, of magic in the township because that's where you'll find the, the authentic food. You know, you'll experience, you know, the culture, the actual culture of, of South Africans. You will see us in our element. And also manage your expectations. South Africa, just like any other country, has its issues. But, you know, try and see the beauty. And there's plenty of beauty far surpassing, you know, the ugly. Mm. Actually, I love my home country. And I have been fortunate enough to travel outside of South Africa. My last trip was to Uganda. And it was interesting to see the differences. And I would say traveling opens your mind, really. Firstly, to appreciate where you come from, but also to see how other people live. And the first thing I saw when I landed in Uganda was how hardworking the Ugandan people are. And it was Sunday evening around six o'clock and everyone was still working. The shops were still open. You know, everyone was hustling. Mm -hmm. If you come to South Africa on a Sunday at six o'clock, everyone is having fun, relaxing, you know, barbecuing, as if they don't have work the next day. I like uh, looking for the hidden gems. That's how I travel. First time I went to England, I was uh, young. I uh, was really annoyed because they kept taking us to these super touristy spots. I'm like, mm. I want to go to somebody's home. I want to yeah. go to the restaurant that the locals go to. I don't want to go here where it's catered to the tourists. Um, I'm, I'm coming to the U.S. Well, I'm going, I'm going to the U.S. Um, in June. What would you recommend? Where Where are you going? Delaware. Delaware, that's East Coast. I've driven through Delaware. Oh. <laughs> I'm from the West Coast, Arizona, LA. I lived in LA. East Coast, Delaware. The states there are a lot smaller. Definitely go to New York because you can get to New York pretty quickly. Okay. I recently interviewed someone for Philadelphia. I haven't been there, but I've heard great things about Philadelphia. Okay. D.C., if you can get down to D.C., you can take the train down to D.C., definitely see the African-American Museum, the other Smithsonian Museums. The African-American Museum, what I really liked about it is it went beyond the history of the United States and linked back to the continent, which for me is important because, you know, we'd lost that history very early on through slavery. And I'm always thirsty for that knowledge. Yes, I definitely say you're in a good pocket where you can get around to different, you know, major locations. Maybe Boston. I've never been there, but uh, definitely I would say New York. New York is like its own beast, and I love it. To me, it's like being at the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely do that. You could never not know what a typical New Yorker is thinking. They let you know. And I have family there, and I, and I love it. But even to you talking about being in South Africa, what makes South Africa unique, going to Uganda, I think is important. You know, being outside of the U.S., and I knew this years ago, is our awareness of the world outside of the U.S. is, is quite limited yes. because of the media. 
So I love hearing about, you know, different countries in Africa. And I definitely encourage people to to not think of Africa as this one big place, but it's, it's, it's you know, 50 plus countries. And so, yeah, the more knowledge we need to know about the continent, the better. Yeah. I mean, for, you know, for people like you and I, it, it really is, I mean, it's not necessarily the safest thing to do to travel through through Africa, but even with that, you could still, you know, go to some amazing places on the continent. So when you do make a decision to come through, I would recommend South Africa and I can take you around. And Ghana. Ghana is a beautiful, beautiful country. Mm. I haven't been to Kenya, but I've heard great things about Kenya as well as Angola. So come through and you you will definitely be amazed. You will find there are a lot more similarities than there are differences, but you will definitely love it. You have to love Ugandans. I mean, I was there for a whole week and like I said, hardworking people, but also very welcoming and very warm. And they really are proud of their country. They took me to all these places that I needed to see uh, in the country. And, you know, they know so much about their country. Because another thing that perhaps as, you know, Americans or other people outside of the continent don't know is that Africans actually were sort of discouraged from visiting other African countries. So even though I'm African, I don't necessarily know much about the other African countries and vice versa. It's always so interesting when you go out to different African countries and it's like you're discovering Africa, even though you live in Africa, it's like Mm. you're discovering it. It's not like, you know, in Europe where you can take a bus and go to a different country. There's still all these regulations that literally limit our movement within Africa, which is quite sad. But hopefully, you know, when governments get better, that will be taken away because it it can't make sense that I need a visa to get into another African country. Um, It shouldn't be like that. Well, I want to thank you so much. (laughs) And I keep looking at that painting just gorgeous. Those colors behind you really, and then even the orange behind you just really creates a, a nice little look for you. But uh, yeah, just really, really thank you so much for joining and, and sharing your story. And say, uh, do you have any final thoughts or insights? Well, thank you for for, for the opportunity. I mean, as, as, as we were talking on email that I really enjoy your platform and, and the work that you're doing. It is my wish and and hope that it grows and you just keep doing what you're doing to connect everyone around the world as we are bound by this beautiful flag behind. Yeah, thank you and onwards and upwards to you. If anyone would like to listen to my music, I am K-A-E-C-Y on all streaming platforms. I've got an album called So Beautiful and I've also worked on a documentary and an, an album called You Two Are Called. And yeah, that's where you can hear uh, beautiful uh, music. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. Mm-hmm.
Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends, too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time.